1 Samuel chapter number 26 in the Word of God this evening. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? 1 Samuel chapter number 26. And tonight in this passive scripture, we will not take a lot of time in chapter number 26, but we'll move past this chapter some as the Holy Spirit allows us to do so tonight. But we'd like to take a couple of moments and uh, set kind of a foundation for us here. A very familiar passive scripture, especially on a Wednesday night. Nonetheless, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter number 26. Look with me at the very last verse, if you would. Chapter 26 of 1 Samuel. Look at verse number 25. The Bible says this. Then Saul, who is the king at this time, said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things, and also shalt still prevail. So David went on his way... And Saul returned to his place. This evening, I'd like to approach this passage of Scripture and preach a message entitled tonight, Alive But Tired. Alive But Tired. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Our Heavenly Father, we are excited. Father, about being alive in you. Savior, over the last several weeks, as Pastor has given us, this theme for this year. Father, I ask, Lord, that we wouldn't approach it once again tonight just in a haphazard way, but, Father, we would approach it in such a way that we'd have the heart, Savior, teach me something. I ask, Father, that tonight's not just another Wednesday night, but, Savior, it's a night that we come in and learn more about you. Father, in a culture where we spend more time getting physically ready for church than we do spiritually. At times, I believe, Father, we don't hear from you like we want to or maybe like we should. And so, Father, tonight, whether we've prayed or this is the first time, would we pray right now, Savior, speak to me. Father, we need you tonight. Work on our behalf. Help us to learn. Help us to grow. Help us, Father, as we walk out these doors to be more like you. Savior, I ask, Lord, that you'd give me the words to say tonight. We love you. In your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When we look at the theme for this year that Pastor has given us, Alive in Christ, it truly is a theme that I believe everyone in the auditorium can get behind. It is a theme that I believe really for many of us as we came in and Pastor laid the foundation for this year. It is a theme that really for the most part really excited him. It is a theme that you and I begin to pray about and begin to think about and maybe over the last two weeks really begin to grow in. It cannot be a theme this year alive in Christ that we leave up to our pastor and the messages that he preaches. It must be a theme that all of us get behind. It must be a theme that you and I constantly pray for, that God would work and stir and move and perhaps do something that he has never done in the history of Lancaster Baptist Church. It must be a theme that you and I begin to pray, Lord, it's not necessarily starting with someone else, but God, let it start with me. 
Let it grow in the youth group. May it grow in my small group's class. May it grow in discipleship. May it catch fire. May you and I have that desire to grow as we ought to in the theme alive in Christ. Dr. Shetler Sunday morning said it like this, and I quote, Alive in Christ is living this normal Christian life. If you agree with that statement, would you say amen tonight? Alive in Christ is living this normal Christian life. That means that there are going to be attributes and there are going to be attitudes of our Savior that you and I have because we are His and He is ours. As we grow in this theme, Alive in Christ, we begin to take on those attributes of our Abba Father. Why? Because we are alive in Him. We have a relationship with Him that will not change. Once you are saved, you are always saved for all of eternity. And as you and I understand and begin to take on those attributes and those attitudes of our Savior, there is going to come this really appearance from our life that others are going to see. The Bible puts it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You and I ought to be showing forth the light of our Savior. In fact, the Bible puts it like this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16. But watch now. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You and I, when we think about being alive in Christ, it really is something that is exciting. When we think about a theme, when we think about growing, when we think about becoming more like our Savior, the opposite of alive is dead. We're not excited about being stagnant or stagnant or death or or maintaining. No, there is an aliveness in Christ. And as we think about that, as we dwell on that, as we pray for that, as we fast for that, watch now, there is an excitement two weeks into this year that you and I have had about being alive in our spiritual walk with our Savior. Watch. But how long will that last? Will this be like a, another New Year's resolution that we have for a while? We're excited and we're all in and we're faithful and we're growing and we're in it. But then comes this word, February. This is very personal. This has nothing to do with the message. You will not find this in the Word of God. But I'm just, growing up in the South my entire life, I'm not a big February type of guy. I, I, I like Valentine's Day, and that's about it. There's, it. Growing up in the South, nothing good ever happened in February. Nothing good ever happened. It was always cold. It was always rainy and or snowy. You always wanted March to come. No one can ever spell it right, hello. It, it has 28 days. You ever thought about that? Like it was 30, 31 days all the way through, but nope, you come to this month and it's 28. Most years, sometimes 29. It's just not a good month. 
It's also a month that many of us, as we face the new year, we're excited, we're on board, man. We're, we're putting away, we're finishing off the eggnog, and we're done. We're going to get in shape, we're going to grow, we're going to lose weight, we're going to read through the Bible in a year, we're going to do this. We add on all these things, and then, well, then comes February, and everything comes to a an halt. And so I have to be there. I really need that extra 20 minutes of sleep. And hey, I'm already four days behind in my Bible reading. Now I'm going to have to read like eight chapters in Leviticus. And that's not going to happen. And, and all of a sudden, February comes and we, we lose that spark. It's no longer there. Over this Christmas break, my wife and I took a week and we headed over to Phoenix, Arizona. We were going to be away for Christmas, and we, <laughs> we knew I didn't get her permission to give the story tonight, but I'm going with it, okay? You pray for me. I'm just going with it, all right? We're going away for a week, and, and here we are, and we, we start to pack the van, and there's seven people in our family, Carrie and I and our five kids. We're going to be away for Christmas. We have a vehicle that fits seven people, and, and we have seven people, and so we're pretty maxed out, and, and we're packing the van, and Carrie says, did you pack the strollers? Did you catch the plural there, strollers? We always have a double stroller, which is a, it's a good stroller, but it's very bulky. It's big. It, it folds up, but it just, even when it folds up, it's still like this big. And I like it. I, I, I appreciate it. But we also have this other stroller uh, for anybody who's raising kids. It's called an umbrella stroller. How many know what I'm talking about? Umbrella stroller. An umbrella stroller is good for one thing and one thing only. It's good for folding up very tight. Other than that, I, 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 I do not like an umbrella stroller. Number one, it's built for people that are four foot eight, okay? It's very short. You don't feel very manly when you're strolling around your little umbrella stroller, you know what I'm saying? And it has these handles that are rubber. Who puts rubber handles? I mean, it's sweaty. It's nasty. It's always sticky. When you got your kid in there, if you put anything hanging on the back of it, a bag that weighs, I'd say, more than about 11 ounces, as soon as that kid gets up, it falls down. It's really good. It's not good for anything, but it does compact, and I, I appreciate that, and I like that very much. And Carrie said, did you pack the strollers? And I said, well, I did bring our umbrella stroller, but I, I, we're, I, I'm just not going to bring our double stroller. And Gary said, honey, that's, that's a mistake. Let me tell you something. You just don't tell this man it was a mistake, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. What, what, what do we mean, honey, it's a mistake? Well, we're going to need both strollers. Well, no, well listen, I'm in, charge of, I'm in charge of packing the van, honey. And the Bible says something about submitting to the husband, you know. I'm just, it's getting uncomfortable in here. <laughs> listen, I, I'm in charge of packing the van, and we're, I'm telling you, we're going to be okay with one stroller. And we left for that trip. We had one stroller, that little umbrella stroller. Somebody just said, uh-oh, you're exactly right, man. You got it down. You know where this is going real quick. We brought that one stroller on this trip. And by halfway through this trip, we're there at Phoenix. We decide to all go out as a family. We're going to go shopping. The day after Christmas, which first of all is a huge mistake, but secondly, we have to park forever away. And I'm watching my steps and I'm looking at my steps. And from where we had to park, by the time we got to where we needed to be to start shopping was three quarters of a mile, people. Three quarters of a mile. Now, for a guy like me, it's super in shape, not a big deal. But for our little kids, it's a big deal. And we got there and we started to shop around. All of a sudden, I had three of those kids fighting for that little stinking umbrella stroller. 
my wife and her sweet temperance begins to look at me with this smile. And finally, she says, honey, and I quote, would you like me to go buy another stroller? (laughs) No. I do not want you to buy another stroller. I will pick these kids up and I will carry them. Hello. I picked up one of our three-year-old twins. I begin to carry. The other one begins to cry. And I pick up the other one. I begin to carry her. And for at least four or five minutes, I was doing really good. Then the sweat began to pour on. And man, at seven minutes into this thing, I'm thinking, this is never going to work. And there's Carrie in her little umbrella stroller looking at the shops. And she's doing fine. But every time she looked around and turned around and looked at me, and I'm sweating, and I'm struggling, my arms are shaking. At least seven times I prayed, God, if you love me, you will come back at this very moment. (laughs) He didn't. But every time she turned around, you know what I did? (laughs) True story. Man, I acted like I was the Hulk. I had those babies, and I was walking around. How you doing, man? I'm good. Soon she turned around. Man, I was struggling. I could barely make it. Man, it was tough. Oh, I was dying. I was dying. Finally, we get back to the car, and I waited a day or two, and then finally told her, babe, we probably should have brought the other stroller, I think. I understand I was tired. I was faking it. We come to this passage of Scripture. This is exactly where we find David. We come to this chapter number 26. David and Abishai go down to the camp where Saul, who has been after him for quite some time because of his selfish reasons... He's been chasing David. Abishai wants David to kill Saul. David and this warrior sneak down to the camp. And in chapter 26 and verse number 10, look at it with me. I want you to see David's reply here to his warrior that is with him. He says, the Lord shall smite him or his day shall come to die. Talking about Saul. Or he shall descend in battle and perish. David says, I'm not going to kill this man. I'm not going to kill this man who hates me. Abishai pleading, look, here's your chance. Just get rid of him. Let's end this right now, once and for all. You had a chance before, but right now, why don't you just go ahead and call it quits? David says, nope, not going to do it. God will have his revenge on this man. I'm not going to kill him. And in verses number 9 through 19, David takes a spear and a cruise of water, and Saul, who is sleeping, never knows it. But then David goes up on a hill and calls down to Saul and once again show him that he could have taken Saul's life. I want you to, with me, look at verse number 21 and watch Saul's response to David. Verse number 21 of chapter 26 of 1 Samuel. Look at the response here. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes. This day, behold, I have plagued the fool and have erred exceedingly. Verse number 22, when David answered and said, Behold the king's spear, and let one of the young men come over and fetch it. 
The Lord render to every man that his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hands today, but I would not stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life much is set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much said in the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Now watch verse number 25. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou my son David, thou shalt both do great things, and thou shalt also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. If we ended here, watch very carefully now, if we ended here tonight, we'd say what a magnificent story. Isn't it amazing the, the, the incredible life that David lived, not to take Saul's life, but then to call down and that Saul says, this is it, no more cat and mouse, I'm done chasing you, and I've erred exceedingly, I've played the fool, I've been all about myself, I've, I've really not been in God's will. I mean, if we ended in chapter number 26, we'd say, what an incredible story. It ends on a mountaintop. And no doubt David's men could see the evidence of God's blessing on David's life. But it's not the end of the story. In fact, I want you to look just one verse over at chapter number 27 and everyone with me look at verse number one and watch what David says. Chapter 27, look one verse over, look at verse number one. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should speedily escape in the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me and seek me any more. And in the coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. Well, this doesn't sound like the David that we've been looking at, joined the Philistines. I mean, what brings a man to this type of sadness? What brings a man to this type of unbelief? Here it is. Are you ready for this? David at this point is very tired. Comprehend tonight that what brings many Christians who were once on fire for the Lord, doing what God wanted them to do, what happens in one year? What happens in one month? What happens from week to week? A person who was singing in the choir, a person who went through discipleship, a person who was faithful to God's house, out of church, out of their Bible, living like the world, their social media has nothing to do with God, but all about themselves. I mean, what happens to someone who is saved on their way to heaven, a soul winner, and then you blink and they're out of church? What happens in a person's life that brings them, like David, at the end of chapter number 26 to the beginning of chapter number 27, from this mountaintop experience and God using him and God doing great things in his life? What brings somebody to that point? Every one of us tonight, I believe, could name someone or raise our hand and begin to say, I remember when so-and-so used to sit up here. I remember how faithful they were. I still see them singing their spot in the choir. I remember when they taught a Sunday school class. I remember when they worked on a bus ride. I really believe that all of us could name somebody like that tonight that is no longer in church and really in their life has nothing to do with God anymore. But instead of concentrating our time on people like that that we could name or 
perhaps even compare ourselves to. I believe you and I ought to concentrate our, on our own lives tonight. The Bible says, take heed lest you fall. It's not looking at all those that are missing, but saying, understand, if we're going to be alive in Christ, if me personally, if I'm going to be alive in Christ this year, I can't concentrate on those who have gone before and fallen off or drifted off or gotten tired. No, in my personal life, I want to carry this through to the end till we hear the trumpet sound or till God calls me home. That's the type of Christian I desire to be. If that's your life tonight, would you say amen this evening? But what makes a person tired? There's several key signs someone has lost their spark for being alive in Christ. Number one, would you write this down? Number one, a lack of prayer. A lack of prayer. Chapter 27, verse number one, look at it with me and maybe underline this. And David said in his heart. Did you catch that this evening? There is no mention of David calling on God or thinking about God or considering God or praying to God or fasting or setting up a sacrifice to him. No, no, no. And David said in his heart. David is talking to himself. He came to this conclusion that he speaks of in verse number 27 all by himself. You see, when you and I start feeling periods of unbelief, periods of being overwhelmed, times when you and I are just tired, many times we start feeling self-sufficient. And tonight, through the Word of God, we understand that you and I do not have the power to fix certain things in our life, but you and I do serve the Creator of the world. You and I do serve a God who is all-powerful, and prayer ought to be uh, drive us to the realization that God is in control. The Bible says in John chapter 16 and verse number 33, these things have I spoken unto you, that ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That means if you and I are having problems with our bills, God's saying this, I've got you, child. If you and I are having marriage uh, relationship problems or maybe a relationship problem with a co-worker or maybe it's raising kids or maybe it's a problem hearing from God about the future or maybe it's a sin problem that habitually in our life keeps coming up over and over and over again, even though we face the new year and we said we we're going to get a ride and we're never going to return to it and we're done and we put off the gossip or we put off the pride or we put off the things of this world. It keeps coming back and at those times when you and I start facing those impossible situations, what is so amazing about a Christian is that we believe God created the world in six literal days. We believe that He came and sent His only begotten Son to this earth to stretch out His arms and cry out it is finished and die for you and I in the remission, the payment for our sin. Yes, we believe all those things. Yes, we believe that we're going to live with Him for all of eternity. Yes, we believe that He's gone to prepare a mansion for us. Yes, we believe that we're going to see our loved ones who have been saved up in heaven again one day. Yes, we believe that we're going to live with Him for all of eternity. But isn't it amazing that when it comes to the minuteness of this world, the problems, the worries, the simple things of life, the last place we go is to Him in prayer. Oh, sure, we'll call mom, we'll call dad, we'll call an aunt, we'll call a friend, we'll call a girlfriend, we'll call, we'll call a boyfriend, we'll call help, we'll, we'll, we'll go everywhere we can. But let me tell you something, 
Maybe the first place you and I ought to try is hitting our knees and talking to the one who created you and I. May you and I remember the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That means tonight as you walk in this room, there is not a concern, there is not a worry, there is not a problem, there is not a situation that you and I cannot overcome. Why? Because we, you and I, have the overcomer. You and I have the Savior. You and I have the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You and I have our Savior living inside of us. But when you and I start to feel tired, when you and I start to feel down, when you and I start to lose our spark of being alive in Christ, watch out for the lack of prayer because it'll sneak in subtly. It'll come in your life and you'll begin to think, I prayed this prayer before. Your prayer goes from a long, lengthy, talking conversation to God to a memorized, made-up, roll-of-the-meal, just kind of roll-through-it type of, well, Lord, thank you this day, and help this problem, and Lord, help us to get through it. Comprehend this verse says, David said in his heart. May it help us out tonight, Lancaster Baptist Church. You're not going to get anywhere sitting around pouting and complaining about life. It leads nowhere. Do you trust that God is for you even when He doesn't give you what you ask for? Do you and I still trust Him? Do you and I still believe in Him? Well, wait a minute. What would happen this year if, if this thing that pastor has prayed about and fasted and gave to us this year, alive in Christ, what would happen if that really took place in this auditorium? What would happen if that really took place during the revival services with Dr. Getch coming up? What if that week of awakening really was a time that we set aside and we begin to pray that God would do something that no generation for a long time has seen? What if you and I, excuse me just for a moment, what if you and I really got bold in our prayers? I'm talking about praying for things that we've never prayed before, before. But what if you and I start praying about things that, man, really honestly, truly make us look foolish? What if you and I got so bold in our prayers that it began to move God in such a way that in this generation, in 2019, before he came back, right here in the Antelope Valley, people stepped back and said, wow, must be a God thing. Bold. Bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. Congregation, God isn't offended by your boldest prayers or your biggest dreams. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. But just ask God to part the Red Sea or make the sun stand still or float an axe iron head. and God is moved to omnipotent action. There is nothing God loves more than keeping promises, answering prayers, performing miracles, and fulfilling dreams. That's who He is. That is what He does. That is being alive in Christ. May you and I this year, not become tired. No, may we keep our prayer life strong. We didn't come in here tonight for Brother John to stand up here, Brother Williams to stand up and say, well, let's just go through our prayer request and pray for rain in the Antelope Valley and Pastor Esley's away. Pray for this and that and President uh, politics. No, understand. What if you and I started getting serious about coming in here and praying? What if it wasn't running through just another prayer for John Tanner? But what if somebody literally stepped out by faith 
And instead of praying, well, God, your will be done, and let's just heal them, and I never met him before, but be with this wife. What if you and I started taking a stand and got bold and said, God, we want to see a miracle perform. God, we know you're the great physician. God, we know you can work. God, we know with a simple glance this way, he could walk out of that hospital with zero cancer and stage nothing, my friend. Comprehend, that's the God that you and I serve, but it's going to take you and I coming to a realization that we can't get tired this year in this thing, but no, watch out for that lack of prayer. Number two, would you write this down? There's also a lazy conclusion. Verse number one, look at it with me. Watch now. Tune in. Listen. And David said in his heart. Watch what he says. I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me. When we're living a life that is not dependent on God, we reach bad conclusions. When we take God out of our life by not praying, you start believing that there is nothing better here for you. The lazy way out is this. Are you ready? And I quote, I can't find the will of God for my life. It's lazy. Are you and I on a Wednesday night with our families here and our youth group going on and discipleship taking place, are you and I willing to serve God with the talents that He has given us? I wonder how many families that are members of this church and members of Bible-believing Baptist churches around the globe are wasting their time and wasting their talents and wasting their treasure that God has bestowed upon them, doing absolutely nothing for God. The excuse would be this, there's nothing better for me. No, the Bible puts it this way in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 8. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Watch this now. Then said I, Here am I, Lord, send me. Paul, the very first thing that he said to God, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? But today, why do we have churches not filled with people who are willing to work, willing to, to be used of God? I'll tell you why. They have a lazy conclusion. But let me remind you today that God is searching for families. God is searching for husbands. God is searching for wives. God is searching for moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and co-workers that will do something for Him. Do you even realize tonight how important you are? Well, thank you for that, Brother Shepherd. But uh, to be honest with you, I, I just... I just don't really have the talent that so-and-so has. That's a lazy conclusion. Well, I, I, I would sing in the choir, Brother Williams. Thank you so much. But you don't understand. I don't, I don't have the voice like so-and-so and the soprano or you know, the bass singing over here. Boy, if I had a low voice like that, boy, I'd, I'd really sing out. But yeah, this is, there's other people who are better than me. I'd work in a bus route, but you know, I'm just not that great with children. I mean, I got five of my own, but to be honest with you, I mean, it's just, I got kids all around and I, I just, I'm just not that. I would teach a Sunday school class. Thank you, Brother Rule, for that. But to be honest with you, there's somebody else out there. It's a better teacher than I am. Comprehend that is a lazy conclusion. Well, okay. Well, I think I'd work, but I think I'd get in there. But, you know, I'm just so busy. 
Oh, Pastor Apple, thank you so much for the opportunity, but let me shoot you this little email here. I'm just busy. Oh, busy, 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 busy. Boy, I'm telling you, you just don't even realize how busy I am. Newsflash, everybody's busy. Everybody's busy. Everybody has a lot on them. But there's a job to do. And there's a lazy conclusion that comes that, well, somebody else to do. Well, I'm just busy. No, may you and I comprehend that people are dying and going to hell. As many as, are you listening to this? 1,560. 1,560 and counting since I started this message. Slipped into eternity. And counting. And counting. Oh, sure, yeah, you go ahead and run the family business while people go to hell. Yeah, you go ahead and whine and cry how tough life is while people die and go to hell. Yeah, you go ahead and skip Sundays so you can be at baseball practice while people die and go to hell. Yeah, you go ahead and pursue your business dreams. Yeah, you go ahead and let somebody else do it. But I'm here to remind you tonight that this valley that you and I live in has hundreds and thousands of people who have never heard of the love and the peace and the joy that Jesus Christ has bestowed upon our lives. And let me tell you something, friend. It's not fair to them for you and I to come to a lazy conclusion in our life and put it off on somebody else. Let them take care of it. No, it's for you and I, friend. It's for us. Can I say something for just a moment? Not my notes, but I, I did see that Dr. Sisk was here tonight. So let me just say this. Now move on. And, and I'm done pretty much right on time. You're going to love it. You say, what time is that? None of your business. Just tune in, bug your seatbelts. Okay, listen. Can I address an older generation for this moment? You may come to the conclusion that you already put your time in. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I've, already, I've, already, I've already been through these themes 33 times and counting. I was here since the beginning. I've been here for 20 years. Congratulations, and we'll give you an attaboy button at some point. Maybe we'll clap for you, and that's great, and that's good. But let me, let me just fill you in on something. We still need you. Oh, no, no, you understand. We are, but children's building, I mean, God, we're doing the bus barn. Man, I was here when Rebels went up at the Walther Center. And I was here when they put this auditorium in. I remember those lights. I remember being in the North Odd, and I remember, And that's good, and that's great, man. I'm telling you, I sure am glad you're here because this whole thing, this lazy conclusion, while I'm being put out to pasture, lies, friend. We need your wisdom. We need you. We need your input. We don't need complaints about this millennial generation. We need you to step hand in hand and help this generation. You didn't live in a time raising kids like I'm living in a time where, where it's, it's socially normal for my nine-year-old boy and my six-year-old girl, socially normal for them to be able to pick out which gender they want to be. And if I tell them what gender they are, physically speaking, I'm a bad parent. You didn't live with that. You didn't live with 50 states saying it's okay for kids to learn in school that, that, that a mommy can be married to a mommy and a daddy can be married to a daddy. You didn't live through that. Let me tell you something. We are. You know, we, need, we need your help. We need your wisdom. We need your faith. We, we don't need to hear about, well, I remember the miracle of the Walther Center. That's good and great, and I'm glad it's up, and I'm glad it's debt-free. And praise the Lord for everyone who was here and helped and dug in and paid. But I'm here to tell you, we need a children's 
we need that building put over there. We got to have it. Well, that's for the next generation. No, if you're breathing this evening, we need you tonight. The lazy conclusion would be to sit back and say, well, I think I'll, I just coast in. No, friend, nobody's coasting in. Put your hand in the plow and don't look back. Press toward the mark, as Paul said. You're, you're not part of that great cloud of witnesses yet. We need you in this fight if you agree with that statement tonight. We need you. There is this lack of prayer, a lazy conclusion. I'll finish here. Watch now. Number three, would you write this down? There's a looking for relief. Verse number one, and David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. Ah, there's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the lands of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more the coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. You know what David said here? I need some help. <laughs> he said, I'm tired. I got to have some relief. Because of his lack of prayer, he comes to this lazy conclusion. Now he's looking for this relief. And guess where he looks? The world. The Philistines. The problem is when you and I chase short-term relief, it's just that. It's short term. Only God has the ability and the power to fix our life. That means you and I have got to stop looking for joy and happiness and relief and peace and start looking to the person, Jesus Christ. Anyone who is in their 70s, their 80s tonight, they'll agree with this statement that some of the most miserable people in the world are those who are looking for happiness. Stop looking and trying to find your happiness and your relief or approval in the world. There are always going to be those who make you feel tired. There's always going to be those who make you feel dirty, ashamed, or unable to meet their expectations. But oh, how our God makes you feel the opposite. God is madly in love with you. His love is not altered by who you are or where you've been or who you've been around. He wants you tonight to drop your defenses, accept His embrace. He doesn't want you for what you can do. He wants you for who you are. And He said, if you're sick tonight, if you're tired tonight, if you're tired of searching, if you're tired of trying, if you're looking for relief in all the wrong areas and it's not coming in the pill and it's not coming in the psychiatrist, and it's not coming into talking to a, a co-worker and it's not coming in another vacation. Understand, listen now, don't take a vacation from church. Don't take your family out of here. No, even so more be in church. Even that much more you and I ought to be centered around the Word of God. Stop looking for something that's going to bring that, 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 that desired happiness that you want. No, start looking to God. I love the verse in the Word of God that says, come unto me. Jesus said, whoa, 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 excuse me, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. 
And ye shall find rest unto your souls. Jesus said, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Jesus says, he's been, oh, casting all your care upon me, for he careth for you. You looking for some rest tonight? Please don't tell me that we are so high on our horse and think that we have reached this apex spiritually that, well, I never get tired. I'm, oh, I'm one of those Christians that, boy, I'm telling they will write volumes of books about me. Just, I never got worn out. You be careful. We get tired. Oh, we get worn down. The sad thing is, like the foolish husband carrying those two twins, every time that wife looked back, I'm okay. I got this. No problem. We faked it. There are many Christians that will walk in here tonight their King James Bible in hand, and their tie on, their shoes shined. And they got the smile on their face, and they're telling everybody, I'm all right, I'm good. But on the inside, you know, I'm tired. I need help. I can't fake it anymore. Looking for relief tonight? What if? What if it started right now with you and I getting on our knees.